0: Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane Lamaster. I want to start off, as always, by thanking all of you listeners. Um, that is the best way that this podcast can be supported. And uh, notice that our listening numbers have jumped quite significantly in the past couple of weeks. So thank you very much for um, listening and continuing to listen. And it seems like uh, you all are liking and sharing our posts when we put them out on social media. So thank you very much for that. Um, that's the second best way that you can support our podcast is by liking and sharing them and getting the word out to all of your friends and family. Um, because our reach only goes so far on social media and with your help, we can get much, much further. Um, the third way that you can help, uh, support the podcast is to donate to the podcast. And I believe there's a link on any podcast apps that you're listening to this on, um, there 's a link that you can uh, donate to the podcast we don 't take any profits from our donations. All donations go towards making this message better for all of you. So um, I have started an account um, trying to save up money to upgrade our microphones, upgrade our system, and just make our message clearer because uh, we 're still using our 'm still using my phone for the recordings um, so you might notice some some uh, differences in the audio quality, but we're doing our best with what we have. Um, So you can always donate to the podcast. And I want to apologize to all of our listeners too. Um, I've been out of the country for the last couple of weeks in Thailand for my honeymoon. Um, I did have intentions of putting together a podcast daily to kind of recap our experience on our honeymoon, but I ended up coming down with a pretty significant flu uh, while I was in Thailand. It turned into a, a severe sinus infection. So um, I was unable to complete the podcast while I was out there. Um, so I apologize for that. And I apologize for the break in our broadcasting for a couple weeks. But we're back and uh, we are excited. Um, so I want to go into some of our sponsors real quick. As always, we're sponsored by uh, That's mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot This is my private practice counseling and consulting company. We're a mobile counseling company, so we can come out to your location. Oftentimes we find it um, more beneficial if we come to your home environment or your work environment or your training environment, wherever you're you're performing, uh, in order to assess not only, uh, your environment and how your environment is affecting you, but also, uh, how you interact with the environment, uh, whether it be teammates, coaches, um, spouses, kids, or, um, you know, any, anybody else in the environment. Um, we also offer uh, teletherapy so we can do therapy over the phone as well as distance stuff. So, uh, I have a number of clients that I work with through Skype as well. Uh, Through MindOps, we specialize in a number of areas. Um, We are licensed addiction counselors. Um, We're uh, registered psychotherapists for general psychotherapy, so we cover the wide range of mental disorders. And also have a national certification as uh, certified mental performance consultants. So if you have any mental performance needs, whether you're functioning at a high level or you're feeling a little under the mental weather, Um, please feel free to reach out to us at mindops.com. That's the best way to reach out to us and leave us a message. Also, if you have any comments or questions for myself or my podcast guests, that would also be the best place to leave those messages. So today we have a very special guest. His name is Radwin Saar, and um, I've never actually met Radwin. Uh, Radwin reached out to me after hearing uh, one of the podcasts I was on um, for Psychedelics Today, uh, I've done that show a number of times, and Radwin heard um, me speak on there, and found that we had a lot of similar interests in not only the psychedelic realm, but also in our journey to explore consciousness, as as well as sports uh, and how we sort of intertwine all those aspects into our personal journeys. So we had a, a lot of overlap right off the bat, and hit it off um, through email for a number of months, couldn't connect for a while because he was, uh, out of the country and we're having issues with the technology, trying to connect that way. Um, but we finally connected, uh, before I went on my honeymoon and had a great conversation and I wanted to have him on the podcast today. Radwin is, um, he's a very creative soul. Uh, he's a musician among many other things. Uh, he likes to engage his creativity through a lot of different venues. Um, He's a, a big sports fan, um, disc golf player. Um, he's a fellow psychonaut, so someone who explores their consciousness through um, psychedelic medicines, and he's also a world traveler. Um, his, uh, his spouse is actually from Brazil, which I thought was really cool, being that um, I've been a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner for a number of years and I've always wanted to go to Brazil, so I found that pretty fascinating. So uh, Radwin, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. And uh, yeah, let's get this going.
1: All right, Shane, I'm here.
0: All right. Um, So the first question I always ask all my guests, uh, and I'll ask you the same question, is um, the name of the podcast is Conversations with the Mind. And I just want to get a sense from you what that phrase means and how it resonates with you. What comes up for you when you hear the phrase Conversations with the Mind?
1: Well, at first, the first thing that comes to my head is someone talking with themselves, which is could be considered weird, but it's right out my alley, really. Um, conversations with the mind—it could the mind could imply your mind, someone else's mind, or really what it leads me to is like the mind of all humans, and we're really having a conversation with that central mind split into different branches in different perspectives so we're kind of it's it's conversations with the mind the whole, yeah, the, whole thing, the whole
0: okay so you said what came up for you first was conversations with yourself and you know i agree with that i think that all of these larger conversations with this greater um consciousness this one mind that we're referring to it all, that, that journey and that conversation with that and the interaction and the relationship that we have with that all begins with that initial conversation that we strike up with ourselves and our own internal landscape. Would you agree? Entirely. Yeah, and uh, so how do,
1: you, how do you go
0: about exploring that? How do you go about initiating those conversations with yourself? We'll start there.
1: Uh, well, first overcoming the idea that you might be not mentally. Okay. If you have conversations with yourself, right. Overcoming. Um, Cause I feel like there's a, a general idea that that would be, you know, someone might be crazy that does that. But, um, I think asking yourself questions sincerely like talking with yourself directly, uh, is important. And it, it's, it's one of the only ways we have to really get to know ourselves is to, is to do that.
0: Yeah and I I think like um I don't know in my field of psychotherapy I feel like most people have some kind of conversations with themselves but a lot of people I'd say the majority of people I come in contact with have a really tough time with asking you were you referring to asking yourself questions uh you know about yourself and exploring and I find that most people have a really tough time asking themselves the tough questions, asking themselves questions that they may bring up fear or may bring up, um, some sense of the shadow self or their darker side that they don't necessarily want to face. But I know in my own experience, it's those questions, those really hard questions that often, you know, they're the ones that leave me depressed sometimes, but they're also the ones that leave me, uh, with the greatest answers and the greatest insight.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I think that – I'm sorry. I'm having a little little bit of a focal yeah. trouble here. Um, yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah, no. Asking yourself questions, it's important. It's, it's tough also because there's lots of questions you don't want to ask. Um, I still have those, <laughs> you know, um, and I think it's just – uh, it's a matter of when you want to and it takes care of itself.
0: Yeah. I know for me, some of the hardest questions to ask myself are like, you know, I find myself asking myself, you know, am I good enough? Am I good enough to accomplish this thing that I, I set, I'm i setting out to do or um, will I have the resources or... Uh, in jujitsu, you know, will my physical body hold up? Um, I know my mind is strong, but sometimes my body, uh, just can't keep up with, with the level of intensity that my mind wants to go. Um, and those are really tough questions for me because it it hits me right down at my core values and, and has me questioning, um, who I am and my value as a person and my value as a human being among the species. Um, what are some of the tough questions that you find yourself asking that you, you have trouble with?
1: Uh, questions of morality, um, whether or not I am a good person in some aspect. And it often, I, I'm, one, I'm one to overthink a lot of things. So I, so, I, so I think a lot, I think about a lot of angles. And sometimes they're not the ones that actually help me. They do me disservice. And I think when I bounce out of that, it's when I, it's when I start asking myself the question, am I good and start affirming the fact that I am good. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of enable to get out of the loop of, of questioning my, my morality. Um, and I think the fact that I question my morality at all, it, it kind of weighs it on the side that yes, I am a good person. Um, and, and good is kind of vague, a vague, uh, yeah. description of, of anyone or anything. Um, but it's a basic question and sometimes it, and sometimes it, it comes up for me. <laughs> like, is this, am I doing the right thing here? Um, yeah. and you know, so, yep. I'm always, I'm always on top of myself when it comes to that. It's kind of a hassle sometimes, but <laughs> Yeah, for I, I, I enjoy it in the end. Yeah, I, I, like be, I like being overly aware most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Most
0: of the time it serves us. Sometimes it gets in the way.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the happy medium that has to be found with um, doing something and trying to do something because um, sometimes you try too hard. It, it doesn't work <laughs> mm-hmm. if you don't let it happen right. Um, Yeah. It's it's like finding
0: moderation with that too. I mean, we can, like you mentioned, like overthinking, like if we get stuck in a place where we're just constantly overanalyzing and overthinking these questions, then we find ourselves stuck or even paralyzed, um, because of the question itself. Um, and then when we, when we just kind of let go of the question and let go of, um, whatever answer we're seeking for, then uh the answers seem to come.
1: Yeah, the, the at least a solution, you know, because yeah. answer, answer answers can be can be objective um, or subjective um, is what I meant there. Uh, but solution at least to to say, OK, like I come to an agreement that you can't figure it out.
0: <laughs> right. So what what's an example of like because uh, I think I think the listeners out there could really benefit from you know uh, digging a little deeper into this morality issue what are some of the some maybe some specific examples of some morality questions that you have faced recently
1: um many times it has to do with how i treat myself um like something like way the way i eat or you know uh use of marijuana or you know excess 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 in in any place usually makes me feel um questioning of my uh morality which in in i guess that eh, may not be the same exact thing but um i feel like self-care is does fall into morality you know It has to do with you know, are you doing right? Are you doing the right or wrong thing for other people and and the environment that you're in, and also are you doing the right thing for yourself and taking care of yourself? Um. And in that, yeah, that question comes up a lot. Am I do? Am I am I in the right place with my with myself there? Um, But it's not exactly the same thing, I suppose when it comes to personal, I I don't know. What do you think? Do you think morality can be inward as well as outward?
0: Um, Yeah. You know um, when you were giving your examples, I was, what was coming to my mind. It's like with food choices, like simple food choices um, you know, the more mindful I am around food, um, I'll find myself, you know, sitting down and, and wanting, you know, a sweet or a cookie or something, and, um, when I, when there's a piece of fruit sitting right next to it and, um, you know, just asking myself, you know, it'll flat, it almost comes in a flash. Like, well, I know that this fruit is better for me and it will also take care of my sweet tooth here in the moment, but I really want this other thing. And, you know, in this moment, do, do I need to stay more focused towards larger goals and, and towards, um, you know, more, my more true or higher self, which would take the fruit option or should I indulge for my own mental health and mental well-being and just satisfaction in the moment to feel good by eating this cookie here. And that's kind of what came up for me. But when you talk about morality, uh, internal versus external, you know, I think those internal battles or conversations, like I just mentioned with the food choice, I think is, is a big one um and you know those are internal moral discussions that we have with ourselves i have them all the time Um, you know in my field we refer to them more as ethical questions you know should i do this will the will this decision with this client harm them more than hurt them you know what is the right tactic to take here um but i also feel like there's external morality too like um like a social morality or social standards that, that, um, are kind of all agreed upon that are, are good values or good morals to have. Um, and another thing came to my mind, like walking down the street, and you see some trash on the side of the road, like, I have this twinge to want to just pick it up and, and do my part to save the environment. And, um, You know, I don't know what the other part is that just tells me to keep on walking, but like a social morality or social responsibility larger than myself to the environment or to society or to, you know, to even be a productive member of society. You know, that's. Are we here? Yeah. Sorry about that. We got disconnected there for a minute. Um, Don't know what happened. Still experimenting with this uh, phone in thing, but um, I'm pretty sure we got um, at least you know, the majority of the first segment. So we'll just continue where we left off. Sounds um, good. So where did uh where did you where did you get cut off from where when I was speaking?
1: Um I think we you were on the topic of social morality. Um, yeah.
0: So yeah, so there's there's definitely like this internal um individualistic morality that we all have to navigate. And I feel is it's different for everybody. I think everybody's morals are a little bit different. Uh, But then there's this larger social morality that we've all kind of like this collective mind idea that we've all kind of just agreed upon some certain values and ideals that we want to uphold for a better society, for a better environment, things like that. And obviously some people don't follow along with those either. Um, So to answer your question, yeah, I believe that there's both individualistic and a larger social morality.
1: Yeah. um, I think, I think though, I think there's many layers to it. And I, I also think about the question of whether morality is, is, is there, is, is there, uh, a, a, an objective reality? Is that the word I'm looking for? Like an objective morality that's, um, that's just innate with the universe. Um, mm-hmm. if that, you know, if it exists through us and we are experiencing this thing we've called morality, then where did that come from? Is there something to that? Or are we, you know, making it up? Could, could, could someone's morals be destructive morals saying that like destructive things are good to me. So my morale, I'm more morally justified to do, you know, a b c, um, or I don't know. I, I tend to think that there is kind of a, a structure of some sort that makes us want to do things that help and and uh, perpetuate creative energy, you know, the development of everything and to do something destructive would be immoral to that cause.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot uh, when most people think of morality, they think of it in a subjective way, you know, um, and I love that you bring this topic up of the possibility of an objective morality that that is, you know, set forth almost like a law of the universe. So, it sounds like you've picked apart this concept a little bit on your own. What are some of the things that, um, that you think fit into this category of objective morality? Um, right away, what comes to my mind is just the idea of, uh, love energy, you know, that, that, uh, you know, you hear that all is one and all is love and, you know, love can conquer all. And in my experience, um, love is, one of the most powerful underlying energy systems, uh, within the universe. And it seems to be completely objective and universal, um, if people are open to that experience, um, and maybe they just don't know that they're open to it, but they're experiencing it in, in some other way, maybe love of a pet or self-love or something. But it seems like love is, um, one of those underlying, um, objective currents. What do you think?
1: Uh, I I'm pretty strongly on the side of love being um, one of the primary creative forces or energies or essences of reality um, because it it, it does it, it, it permeates all facets of life and, and seems to just have a healing power and a creative power. And um, when I, when you just look at, the the concept we have of love it's you know it, it's 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 like the best, the best thing ever to, for for most for most people like and we've used a heart to signify love just i don't know how i don't know who chose to do that at what whatever point but that's what we we feel it in our heart some for some reason and our heart is like the the life flow of our bo- of our body so those things, those associations, I don't feel like are are on accident. They're natural associations we make because we come from a force, a central driving force that says, "I love all things, and I want to just, I want things to just exist and be created and create and create themselves and 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 exist and be free." Um, and yeah. That, so I and, hear,
0: go ahead. Go ahead. Oh um, yeah. So I hear um, the underlying a lot of this, uh, is just this creative force that, um, you know, that part of this objective reality is just the fact that, you know, life is creation and even things that we don't consider alive are still always in flux. They're always changing. They're always creating something new, you know, even, even a a mountaintop that may not seem like it's alive. is always changing moment to moment, you know, changing size, changing shape, rock slides, all sorts of things. And it's constantly creating, creating something new. Um, I've gotten that sense from quite a few of my um, psychedelic medicine journeys that, you know, that that is part of the purpose of life and the purpose of being human is to, you know, create and to give back more, to this collective consciousness than we take from it. Almost like I I almost always get the message that, um, you know, you need to put more back into the world than what you take from it. And you need to leave the world a better place than when you, than how you found it, you know, and that this seems to be, um, one of those underlying driving factors for all of us, um, which is kind of strange because, you know, I participate in a, in a sport, you know, MMA and Jitsu, where, um, from an outsider's perspective, it looks very destructive, you know, we're, we're making each other bleed, we're, you know, pulling joints apart, we're choking each other, we're doing these things. Um, but from an insider's perspective, from, from the athlete, from the inside, from the practitioner, you know, it's all about creation. It's about being creative with techniques and creating new new, um, solutions to problems that are, you know, right in your face. And there's dire consequences if you don't, um, solve the problem, you know, and that's a sort of a moral dilemma that I've dealt with since I started, um, competing in combat sports is, you know, I have my Buddhist side that is very much, you know, um, love and compassion and creation and, you know, do no harm. And this side of myself is very strong, and then the other side of myself that wants to be competitive and part of the the sport, part of the competition aspect is to, you know, to, for lack of a better term, you know, destroy this opponent in front of you. Um, so that's been a moral battle for me to deal with in this, in this human existence is trying to figure out how do I find that balance between the two? How do I embrace, um, the aggression and destructiveness that's necessary to win while also maintaining, um, peaceful, calm, do no harm type attitude. Um, so it's another moral dilemma that I'm throwing out there.
1: Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the Zen state though. The, the balance of those things, the, the finding the balance between engaging, um, the both, aspects of life creative and destructive but um finding a peaceful way to do it and a a way to just a way to learn about those energies because whether we like it or not physical violence exists in our in on our planet and i think it sucks but i'm glad there are people channeling it in a way that is that is creative that is that expands our our minds and our ability to solve problems and ability to defend ourselves if we need to um, and yeah um i really admire people that are in that state in that in that balance um i have never done any mar- martial arts or anything and that, that that question's come up to me i'm like you know okay well these buddhists over in uh, over in the mountains in the himalayas they're they 're meditating and then they 're like fighting well they 're not really I i don 't know i don 't know the the details but you know they pick it down and um it 's like are they really why do they do something that 's fighting if they want to be peaceful too but there is a you know there 's a yin and yang aspect there it 's it's it 's exploring both turning aspects of life.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the, cause I studied warrior cultures too and studied warrior mindsets across the, you know, the centuries. And, um, some of my favorites are from, uh, the Japanese samurai. Um, and the way that they talk about it, it's like they're not fighting somebody else when they get into a battle. Um, the way that they refer to it is more that they are fighting a part of themselves. Um, you know, it's, you know, because they take this, this, we are all one type mindset from the Buddhist teaching. And so your opponent is not actually a separate person. It's just a different manifestation of yourself presenting itself or projecting itself into your reality so that you can learn something from it. And I love that perspective that they take that, you know, your opponent, you're not actually fighting somebody else, but you're in a battle with yourself, um, which you are, I mean, you're in an internal battle with yourself, um, mentally and physically but you're also battling you know a different incarnation of yourself throwing different problems at you um and you know i i just love that that type of mindset and i feel like some other sports tend to um, embrace that even more i'm thinking of like rock climbing like huge rock walls where it's totally an internal battle. I mean, you're not going to win a physical fight with a mountain, (laughs) um, but you can, you know, you're facing yourself on that, on that, um, you know, on that climb, um, you're just taking what's given to you and you're overcoming this internal battle with yourself in order to grow as a person, you know? And, And then when you reach that summit, you've learned something hopefully about yourself. You've learned that you can overcome those things or you've learned that, you know, along that many hours and many pitches of that rock climb, you you've learned a great deal about yourself. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's sort of, um, how I try and approach, um, uh, my competition is, is that this is for me for learning. Um, that, and I try and let go of the ego and emotion as much as possible because that stuff tends to get in the way, um, and is not real in my mind. Um, but the learning, the lessons that I can learn, whether I win a match or lose a match, uh, there's always learning to be, to be had there.
1: Definitely. Um, that's def that's the entire reason I fell in love with this golf because it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a team thing. I've always been more into individual sports, extreme sports, skateboarding, snowboarding, but I was never much of a competitor. I never wanted to, to, to win. Um, cause I, I just didn't have that mindset. I just wanted to have fun with, with other people doing the same thing. And disc golf kind of brought me into a competitive mindset because I, I realized that the way it plays, even though you're when you play a tournament and you're, you're in a field with, with people you're competing against thinking about beating them, isn't going to help you win. What helps you win is, is playing against yourself and doing better than you've done before. Exactly. And if you do, because you know, if you do better than you've ever done before, you're probably going to win. And, and if you can just forget about that, the, the, the result part of of the day and get into the process of 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 doing better than you did before. <laughs> uh yeah, and you the whole time is just uh even when I have bad days, I I, I learn so much. I learn way more on the bad days actually because uh any 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 shred of ego I had gets wiped away because I realize, oh well, okay, maybe maybe I'm not quite as good as I thought. I got some work to do somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, lots of learning um and, I, and that mindset of competing against yourself and 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 when and when I'm thinking about okay i gotta I gotta do this to beat this guy i'm i I do feel like i'm it's just another version of myself that i I'm very i guess a believer of that of the idea that it that we are all a singular energy split into different smaller energies experiencing themselves and um so yeah it is just layers and layers of learning and i love it
0: yeah so that i think that is a great segue into talking about the nature of reality in general um and you're what you just said reminded me of that bill hicks quote and i'm not even going to try and butcher it but i think you know which one i'm talking about
1: that well yeah i, I i've re I, i've reiterated that thing so many times well it's exactly what what it is so <laughs> it's the perfect reference
0: <laughs> do you do you know it
1: um, yeah no i heard it i heard i heard it on, i heard it on the tool album before i knew who that it was bill hicks but uh at the end of tools anima they have um like their last track i think it's third eye and, and that's like one of the they use that cut and it sounded like it was Maynard when i was first listening to it but i found out it was bill hicks so then i got into bill hicks a little bit and yeah he said um today a young man on acid has realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experience itself subjectively (laughs) yeah here's
0: tom with the weather
1: yep (laughs) almost (laughs) like it's a it's it's
0: a passing news story that you know that So the nature of reality, this is one of the big things that you and I um, connected on right away is because we have very similar um, conceptualizations of of the nature of reality and consciousness. And so, um, you know, I I too am a believer that we're all just fractal, um, you know, fractioned parts of this larger consciousness that we were all, we'll all return to and we all came from Um, but that we're all experiencing these individual um, lives, you know, so that we can experience the infinitude of experience of human experience and animal experience and plant experience and, you know, being reincarnated in all these different forms all serves a larger purpose of just knowing every possible, um, every possible aspect of existence. Um, So where did you, my, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. My, um, I think a lot of the concepts um, for me were first introduced through just reading Buddhist teachings and and readings. But um, it was actually having seen and experienced uh, some of those concepts through my psychedelic journey work, or my breath work, or my meditation that really solidified for me that. Hey, these concepts in writing are a lot more than just words. That these are really the nature of reality, and um, that I really need to put more energy into it. How did you come to your your realization that this is how the nature of reality and consciousness worked?
1: Um, I think I had I had um, I had a lot of good guide kind of like checkpoints growing up that kind of, that that led me to be in that in that direction. Um, and like what? It, it, while it was, um, it's it, like my older brother, he listened, he listened to a lot of, uh, kind of psychedelic music. And, and so through listening, I feel like through listening to that, it kind it kind of got me into observing consciousness and observing reality at a young age. And I always looked up to him. So, you know, especially with tool and, and listening listening to those lyrics and reading those lyrics as, as a younger person, they didn't make that much sense to me, but I got that there was something deeper to life and reality through that. And, um, I think by the time when, when I was older and experimenting with psychedelics, it was, it became, I started experiencing things that, that I wasn't sure about. I was, I I started thinking, is this a real, is this, should I even really think this is, you know, is this real? And, in kind of like a reverse way, I would go research when I would have kind of downloads or like things just come to me that were, that were explaining how reality works and how the just basic stuff. And, uh, I would go research about it. And then I would find out all this stuff that is just coming to me is real and it's already out there. And there's been books written about it for, for, you know, hundreds of years and stuff. Um, I think when once I once I figured out I could I was cross cross referencing my thoughts and my in, my my intuition with with uh information and knowledge that's available and it was and it consistently matched up and there was always a, a some something really solid for me to connect to, um, it just escalated and it's just never stopped since. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that um, the follow-up process that you're describing is probably more important than the psychedelic experience itself. Uh, And in in the psychedelic therapy circles, we call that integration. So, you know, someone will have a psychedelic experience and then they may come to uh, one of us, like a psychedelic integration therapist, to help them sort of put the pieces back together, help them, you know, they'll come and explain, you know, the visions that they saw and, and the the uh, insights that came to them and may not know um, that these ideas are present and are written about. um, And, you know, I can help kind of guide them in the direction of further research. So I think that follow-up piece is, is super important, not only for psychedelic experiences, but for any major major life event or any, any sort of flash of insight or anything, you know, it's, it's doing a disservice to yourself. If you just let that come and pass, you know, it's, it's really important to when you get those insights to go and do research and look at these things and look them up. And, um, you know, I, I think like even after like I watched the matrix movie, um, I was like, holy shit this this kind of seems like it could be real, and I just started looking into the theories behind you know what the directors were going for, and then I went down an entire rabbit hole around simulation theory and holographic theories of the universe and and found out that um, physicists have been proving a lot of these um, a lot of these scenarios for a long time, and that you know we 're just being exposed to them through the the mass media um, later down the road
1: yeah all all those things exist there we're you know we're 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 always our filmmakers and writers and artists are all i feel like they're channelers of of real things past and present and future um there's a there's a mirror there and i think they it it sucks that a lot of people will likely look at look at um simulation theory and say like oh no that was that's the matrix that's that movie you know that was that was a movie that's not a real thing you know um but yeah i think that they're there, there's so much that we channel into our into our work um good and bad and it, it is a it's a these things exist <laughs> yeah in some form
0: yeah i like how you were saying they're channelers of past present and future um because in my mind those three things exist simultaneously um you know we're experiencing what we think is our future or our present um objective world and and nature of reality but i've read a lot of um uh, theories on on how the past and the future are actually happening simultaneously and um, how we can access uh, you know the past through memory and we can access and even change the past um, through you know intention and concentration and things like that um, and then you know all this stuff in psychology that says that you know memory is is super. Uh, It's a really bad way to base our reality off of because our minds will constantly change our memories of past events um, to not reflect the reality of what actually happened and how eyewitness testimony is, is totally, you know, horrible and and shouldn't be admitted in court because people's perceptions will change just in their minds. Um, And then, you know, when you, when you talk about these artists, um, came to mind is uh alex gray you know the visionary Mm -hmm. artist the painter and um you know his chapel of sacred mirrors he he mentioned you know he named his his um greatest art gallery after what you were talking about how these are mirrors to to these visions are mirrors to um, realities beyond our current perception and i just love how how he is able to I don't know. He's one of the best artists I've found to be able to put um some of those visionary states into onto paper. Yeah.
1: yeah. He, he's a he's a true channeler. He 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 really sees the things. And um I'm I he, he fascinates me so much. I, I I, love that. I love that guy. <laughs> he, he's he, an interesting guy. He's maybe you, you ever
0: get a chance meet to meet him, me. him, you should.
1: Yeah, no, I mean me and my wife really wanna go out to his um the Cosm Sanctuary they have it's like it's like an outdoor like mul- like multiple acre art sanctuary mm-hmm. that he has it, so- it sounds like they have some pretty cool like um light work events and stuff um and like Solstice equinox celebrations I think it'd be cool but uh um, yeah he's one of my favorites I have a print from him uh, it's the it's the guy sitting cross-legged and he's kind of see-through like Alex likes to do you can see his veins and and all that stuff, but then there's like a glowing energy around him, and there's a there's kind of like a grid underneath him, like an energy grid, and he's got the flames around him. I've I've, I've had that for a long time, and I've had <laughs> I've had some uh, intimate times with that painting, just sit, just sitting and staring at it, and and feeling all all the things that went into it, and actually a few times um, with psychedelics, I actually felt like I became the painting. In a way, like it, like it was, it was true. It truly was a mirror. I felt like I kind of connected with it and melded with that, with that person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like the
1: person was just me. It was a reflection. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and the artwork provides a great framework um, when entering those those mental spaces to kind of help navigate them. And when you find yourself, you know, embodying that that meditating posture, sort of floating among the astral planes. Um, without that reference of the painting, you might feel a little lost, but having seen that in an image prior because of Alex gray, you know, you find yourself in that place and you're like, Oh, this is familiar. Oh, this is really cool. I'm actually in this painting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's one of my favorites. I I actually have a blanket that was, um, made by Alex gray or his company, um, with that painting on it. Um, that's a pretty cool one. Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed. yeah so um so th- tell me more or tell let's let's talk a little bit more about how you conceptualize um the nature of reality and and we talked a little bit about how how we might be um you know fractalized uh incarnations of this giant mind and a lot of people you know talk about similar topics like the akashic records or this this giant um library of, of human knowledge and experience sort of up in this cloud that we can access at any time. And that being part of the collective mind, um, how do you, how do you uh, conceptualize your current existence and your perception of you as a human being living among all this?
1: I, I think it's just, I, I think it's a simple pattern that has become crazily complex over you know whatever time or ex- over i don't i don't know if time's weird because does it exist or doesn't but i'll i'll use it sure. for the, i'll use it for the sake of this um analysis is like very simple pattern like a, way, a wave a waveform or something and and when anything multiplies it or bounces off of a wall or or you know goes in a different direction it starts to create all sorts of fractal patterns and as a human, when I look at myself, I just feel like I'm a. I feel like I'm a collection of of density that has that has vibrated to its current state based on based on the 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 laws of this universe, um, and it it, it has gotten really complex at this point. But at at its core, it was very simple, and I think it's just been around for so long that it has been able to create vessels and and um life forms to capacitate experience and different experiences um and yeah that's kind of where i'm at right now is i just feel i feel like i'm i I feel like humans are a very uh important part of that uh spectrum of the life form spectrum um because we have a lot of creative power we 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 have a lot of we have a lot of ability, um, to impact our environment and ourselves. Um, and I just, I feel just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Super happy, happy to be along, happy to be along for the ride.
0: Yeah. I love, um, referring to our humanness or our, um, you know, even the physical part of our body and our mind too, but as vibration and frequency, um, And sometimes when I talk to people about that, you know, it's difficult for people to understand that that's all we are is energy and vibration and frequency because, you know, people can touch their skin and say, look, I'm not vibrating. I'm completely still. And, you know, and I try and go a little deeper into the physics behind, you know, waveforms and how we're all just atoms and we're constantly vibrating and that we can vibrate at different frequencies based on our moods and based on our um our spiritual uh, connection and things like that and how, you know, we can actually heal um, mental maladies or physical maladies um, by just simply changing our vibration. Um, you know, cancer vibrates at a certain frequency um, and by changing the frequency, we can change the growth of cancer. And there's all sorts of scientific studies out there showing this. They're just not mainstream. Um,
1: I don't know I- Why? Angers me. Well, yeah probably
0: because <laughs> of the the pharmaceutical companies still need their money for their western treatments but
1: right, well, but sell, I mean, me some, right. sell me some healing earbuds i'll buy those yeah exactly <laughs> so
0: i mean um things like binaural beats um are great and you know we we use frequencies in some healing practices like uh, ultrasound and things like that um and really that's what um shamans are doing too is that they're you know they're seeing your sicknesses, whether they're mental sicknesses or physical sicknesses, they're seeing through your physical body into, you know, your spiritual self or your aura and really diagnosing and messing with those vibrations and frequencies to bring you into a better alignment, um, for healthier living. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love that, that ancient, um, method of of medicine and and it's a shame that it's considered alternative medicine today to our Western medicine, even though it's been around for many countless thousands of years before Western medicine, we should really be calling Western medicine alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was was actually just reading this book um, called The Biology of Belief um, and he was talking about a concept that I'd been, I'd known for quite a while, but that, you know, kind of reinvigorated my interest that, you know, we are vibration and frequency, but our physical body is, is I think he said it's like 85 to 90%, not even human. So most of our body is actually uh, living bacteria and living organisms um, that are not, you know, they're all their own individual, system they're all their own individual organism um and we're just a collection of these things that are working symbiotically with each other within a community to form this physical body that we think is ourself really um you know it brings up bigger questions for me like well if all those little things are not us um you know technically maybe they have their own individual consciousness and they're working together You know, then what makes me, me, you know, what makes Shane, Shane, what, what is the part of me that is, um, the Shane consciousness, you know, and what parts are, are all these other little bacteria?
1: Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the trick is, but I mean, the deeper you go, the more it becomes apparent that there is, that there is kind of no separation. All right, I'm back. <laughs> All right, sorry about that.
0: No I hope that um, I hope that this podcast comes together in the way that we intend. But if it doesn't, then we'll we'll just do another one um, another time.
1: Yeah, yeah, good practice run, guys.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we we're talking about the nature of reality and um, you know the collection of organisms that makes up our physical self, but what what makes us distinctly ourselves?
1: I would say the consciousness part is the is the main one there if if I had to pick something because yeah I mean your body is just your body your physical body is composed of of physical parts you know Um, it is one but there's separate things in there and then like you said on the on the microscopic scale there's it's a lot of just bacteria and different organisms um, operating on in a microcosm Um, and maybe our maybe our consciousness is like that too. Maybe our consciousness is just, is just a a ball of, of different energetic parasites and, and uh, you know, bacteria and you know, whatever. Um, Maybe, maybe it's the same way on an an energetic level and the physical is, is just a physical version of that energetic aspect. Um, I had never thought about that, but (laughs) That yeah. Be. That's an
0: interesting concept, how, how your consciousness could actually be, um, a combination of many different consciousnesses, uh, you know, sort of amalgamated into this one, um, that, or maybe it makes it easier for us to identify it as just one instead of many. But then I can yeah. think of many times, like when we have these conversations with ourselves, when, when we're like, Oh, where did that voice come from? our that's not me that said that that was something else or you know or we get a flash of insight or a solution to a problem that we've been working on for a long time we're like wow where did that come from that that didn't come from me Mm -hmm. um that's a that's an interesting idea to think about this that way
1: yeah i do i do think that we have a we have a soul of some sort that is us that you know it's probably not named radwin or or it's probably and it's probably not named shane that's like a, a this human experience part of the soul but um, I think there is a, there, there is a central consciousness and I do think that it can pick up kind of parasites and bacteria energetically and it kind of becomes attached to your soul. And I feel like that's kind of where karma comes in and you kind of attract, you attract those, those extra energies and they kind of latch onto you and you can, you carry them and they affect your life and they th- they say things you know, that, that, are, that in your mind, and you're like, that wasn't me, like you were saying. And, mm-hmm. um, and cause I've gone through the process multiple times where I have something like that bugging me that I didn't feel like it was me. So, and I would have some experience that, that led me to overcome that and I could feel it was gone, you know, like it, it felt like a, something that I thought was a part of me, wasn't really a part of me and now it's gone. Um, because I, I identified it and, and and called it out and worked through it.
0: So so, definitely facing it produces more positive outcomes than denying it or running from it.
1: Most definitely, and it, yeah. makes, it makes it quicker too. It's it's not as easy as running away, but it, it's it's uh, it makes it easier in the long term is running away running away is a short-term solution and it those thing things don't things that really bother you tend to not go away until you confront them or deal with them for me yeah. anyway, for me
0: sure um so i want to talk a little bit more about this karma idea and how it factors in so you were talking about how consciousness can be you know all these different maybe individual parts that make up this larger consciousness and that um that it's, you know, you think that it's part partially our karma that attracts um either negative energies into our conscious space or positive energies into our conscious space. Um and you know, most of most of the listeners have probably heard of like the secret and the laws of attraction and how if you mm-hmm. put out negative things, you're gonna get negative back. And if you put out positive, you're gonna get positive back. And there's some good science to back that up as far as Um, measuring frequencies and wavelengths of thoughts and brain waves and how positive thoughts have a different frequency and wavelength and negative and um, that frequencies do attract like frequencies. So there's some good evidence for that. But as far as karma comes into play, that's when, um, you know, the listeners might start to feel a little wishy washy about it Um, because in Western, in Western minds, karma, um, is centralized around this life and what you do in this life will affect your outcomes in this life. And while I believe that that's a part of karma in Buddhist traditions, um, karma is much bigger than that and goes throughout all your lifetimes, many thousands of lifetimes and karma is accumulated through positive and negative deeds throughout many, many, many lifetimes and your past lives. Um, can impact uh, your future or your present um, being. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you see um, that aspect of karma, like from past lives and things, how do, how do you see that um, impacting how people welcome in or, or allow in different energies?
1: Um, I understand the, skeptic- the skeptical outlook of some with karma. I think everyone ha- should be skeptical with anything at, if, to an extent and um, when you say, you know, oh, it's karma, it's, you know, that's just a word that has been used to, de- to describe something and when I think about what the something is, it strikes me as it strikes me as, um, it strikes me as a, in, actually a mechanical system that's kind of built in to the environment to, 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 to the central energy of everything. And it, and it's, it's not, um, it's not, uh, subjective at all. It's totally, this is, this is the, this is the way this vibrates and it will vibrate to something that it resonates with either in a direct frequency or, or in a, um, or in an interval frequency, you know, how there's like chords on the piano, uh, Um, like some, some keys don't go together. Some, some different keys go together really well. So you could, things could resonate and vibrate towards towards them and, but not be right next to each other. So that kind of explains how we could do different things and receive different types of vibrational resonance, uh, be it direct. Sometimes we see what they call instant karma. Like you do, like something happens and then something something occurs directly after that <laughs> either rewarding sure. rewarding or pu- or not only use the word punishing but um i don't know <laughs> di- 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 diverting you um, yeah and just get poking you and saying hey th- that that was that was not cool and um but then there's like the 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 stuff that we just don't see it's 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 like it's just like neurons firing in a brain it's such a small piece of the collective but it is it is a it is a mechanical and 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 precise thing that is just part of the the waveform universe we live in everything has that structure It's a wave is a waveform it can be it can everything can be modeled on that um the idea of vibration the reality of vibration, not even an idea. (laughs) It's where we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, that's another one of those, um, objective universal truths that we were talking about earlier, like with love, um, and love is a frequency too, and a vibration too. And, um, you know, that, that maybe these waveforms and, and thinking about, um, life and change and interaction as vibration and frequency, um, that maybe this is another one of those universal truths that, that uh really cannot be taken subjectively.
1: I th- I think not. It's it's um it's it's just there. It's there to observe. It's provable with science. It's measurable. Um sound sound science is probably one of my f- most it is my favorite field and it's it just gives so much information with such a simple, just such a simple action. Um, and there's just so much information in there. Yeah. And I think I saw what it was there's like some quote from Nikola Tesla. That's like, you know, if you want to know about the universe, think of it in waveform frequency. And, mm-hmm. and something else, but. I don't know. I think I, I think I researched that, and he actually didn't say that. There's a lot of stuff like that on on Facebook that goes around that has uh, wrong quotes assigned to the wrong people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I read one that was really funny. It's like uh, it was a quote from Abraham Lincoln. It says, "If it's like if it's posted on the internet, it must be true." <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, no, but about this idea of karma, you know, um, when I talk to people about it, a lot of people. Ask me the same question. And it, sometimes it stumps me um, because the answer that I give is not usually taken very well, even though it's one that I believe in strongly. And uh, so when I talk about karma, a lot of people say, well, what about those, those people in Africa that are starving and those, those poor kids that, you know, get kidnapped and, and molested and, uh, you know, all these bad things happen to these completely innocent kids or people or, or women and children that don't deserve it. And past my life? answer Yeah, exactly. My and my answer is usually well, it's they probably did something in their past life that brought them to that. And yep. that you know, in Buddhist belief system in between lives, you actually get to choose the next life and the next life circumstances that you're going to encounter in order to learn some certain lessons. So it was their choice that they were put in that position. It was their choice that they, you know, they found themselves there um, to learn something and people that doesn't sit well with people. I'd have to
1: imagine there's a lot of sacrifice that go, that would go, that would go into planning, planning, uh, uh, planning an incarnation. Um, Yeah. You know, that you're going to be like, well, you're going to have to do this now you realize that because you did this before. Oh yeah. Okay. Well let's go. And then while you're here, you're not really, aware of all that we're not we're in the kitchen right now we're not supposed to see the plumbing we're not we don't understand the we're not supposed to see and and really understand the the background of where everything's at now because we're supposed to be here experiencing the now and and creating new things and and pushing forward um that's how i feel anyway
0: yeah it was it was kind of validating i had this experience in thailand um so we were in uh Phuket about two, a week and a half ago. And uh, Phuket is in the, in the South of Thailand, uh, very beautiful. Um, and Thailand is known for their, uh, tailors. So while I was over there, I had a, a two piece suit, custom tailored and, a you know, a nice, uh, Conor McGregor, uh, uh FU jacket, um, mm-hmm. tailored for me, which I really like. And, the tailors there were actually, they were not Thai. They were uh, immigrants from Burma, um, but they were originally from Nepal and I got to talking to them and very friendly guys. And, and they come from very, um, you know, what we would consider in America, low socioeconomic, uh, upbringings, so very poor upbringings. And, um, I didn't even bring up the top to the topic of karma, but they were asking about our American lifestyles and about, you know, how salary works over here. And, you know, do you still get the same Mm -hmm. paycheck every week? And I'm like, yes. And, and, uh, he said, um, something that struck me, he said, Oh, you know, you're, you were born in America because you did something really good in your past lives. Um, we were bad in our past lives and that's why we were born in, in Nepal and Burma. Um, that's that's why we had these very difficult challenging lives and it was really affirming to hear somebody who actually came from that type of struggle say something like that and say like hey you
1: know it's, we know what's going on
0: <laughs> right it's because we we met in a past life that this is why we're we're currently struggling um i didn't have to say it and i didn't feel awkward hearing that either i was like oh wow you know that's what i've been telling everybody else and here's somebody who's been through it and that's how they feel too right you know, they've been good people to life this time and they said you know hopefully next time i'll be born in america
1: mhm that i mean that there's there's something to be said for for not having a belief system and avoiding things that aren't aren't physically provable you know uh, the scientific logical approach right. But there's a reason that lots of people seek a spiritual assignment or a, or, or dedication or, or mindset, because it helps you understand something like, why, why am I in this situation? And even though there's the possibility that karma might not even be a thing, it could just be an illusion of our, of our consciousness that we create. Um, There's the possibility of that, I suppose but to find a, a to find a way to perceive reality that brings you beyond the physical and get, and brings brings you to a comfortable space of some sort or at least a, or at least a resolve in in yourself and you can say okay this makes sense to me in some in some way i think that's valuable i think that's you know that's not a waste of time that's 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 trying to improve your life However, you can.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that here in the West, we tend to get stuck in the dogma of science, feeling that, you know, science is the ultimate tool and it can answer. If there is a question out there that is answerable, science can answer it. But, you know, you and I have both found through our experiences that, you know, science is just a tool and it cannot answer um, a lot of questions. You know, even some of the best scientists that I know of. Um, say, you know, the wise man knows very little, or the wise man understands that he knows very little and science has barely even scratched the surface, especially with topics around spirituality and consciousness. And my personal feeling is that science is just the wrong tool, or we don't have the right technology right now to be able to measure Such ephemeral topics like spirituality and consciousness and that engaging in spiritual practices like meditation and psychedelic journey work and breath work, that these are the proper tools to explore those realms and that science may only be a tool to uh, measure the physical, um, you know, objective reality i'm using objective in in quotation mark but but that science is, is only meant for that and that it's the wrong tool to even be considered studying for these things
1: sure uh i think and i i think it could just be the science that we've been aligned with um i think humanity shot itself in the foot a little bit when we didn't didn't give tesla the right the right uh chance um yeah. and we could have well been onto uh, onto scientific tools and instruments that that are that are accessing things that are still considered spiritual or or energetic um but most of that stuff has to do with technology that is more basic and simple than we think you know sound technology frequency technology um stuff like that seems <laughs> like um seems like we're missing out on, on something. (laughs) Um,
0: So talk a little bit more. um, So for our listeners who don't know what Radwin's talking about, uh, the study of sound and vibration um, is called often called cymatics. Um,
1: Visible sound.
0: Yeah. Visible sound. Um, And you can pull up any number of YouTube videos of, of experiments and things like that done with, Um, usually it's on like a little metal disc and they'll put either like sand on it or water on it and manipulate Mm
1: -hmm. the patterns clad. clad, clad,
0: Yeah. Um, and what we find is, is that certain frequencies, um, reg, I mean, very consistently show the same patterns or, um, what's often referred to as sacred geometry and these geometric patterns that just show up naturally in, in nature as part of the, the structure of the cosmos, and uh radwin i was hoping since it sounds like you have a lot more experience in in researching this than i do if you could talk a little bit about what you've found to be most interesting um in the study of of sound uh in this way
1: um i'd say cymatics is is among the most convincing and and revealing um sound experiments that have been done i uh, i don't remember the guy's name that that brought that study to the forefront but um yeah like you said they put the sand on the plate and the and they they vibrate the plate at super high frequencies it sounds like a whistle or something like a really high pitched uh tone and as the as the vibration in the plate rises the the sand actually starts to shift around and it vibrates into these key shapes and it'll actually shift into in into place. And, um, I can't really describe what they look like, but they look very ge- geometric and, and perfect. And as the, as the tone rises, they shift and, and, and change into even more complex shapes And the higher, the higher the frequency goes, the, the shapes double and they, and they become fractalized and it just keeps going and keeps going and it keeps going. And it, it proves that matter is, dictated by frequency.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some somehow um and that things like things move matter moves bit with 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 resonance like um it happens all the time in my car like an example is um I'll have like a I don't know like chapstick in my um in my cubby door you know on the uh, uh on my in my car and it'll just start rattling out of nowhere for some reason I'll hear this rattling with the sound and I'll go down there and it's the chapstick moving and I'm like well it wasn't doing that before why did it start rattling now and I and I realize it's because the song I was listening to some note or frequency in the bass or in one in somewhere in the song actually matched the resonance of the chapstick and the chapstick vibrated its way into a spot in in the in the in my door cubby where it actually started hitting and making a vibrating sound um it's like it's like it's like that and i, I kind of see the universe like that like the matter that is in place now is being suspended by some innate frequency and that if you up the frequency of the molecules or of the matter it will shift into a new dimension if you will
0: yeah that actually happened to me earlier today. Uh, I was on my way back from a client session and, um, my check engine light came on in my car and it, you know, it makes that ding, ding, yep. ding. And that was the only thing like my, uh, my car was not running. So there's no, um, mechanical vibration. My stereo was off. So there was no sound vibration. The only sound was this dinging sound and, um, Every time this the dinging went off i I heard a vibration in my dashboard um, about two feet away from it. Mm-hmm. And the ding would stop, and the vibration would stop, and then it'd start dinging again, and this you know part of my dashboard would just vibrate um, and make a sound itself and I was like, oh, that's interesting how that yeah. how that, uh, worked that way." Um, yeah, we were talking about you know changing changing vibration and changing frequency to change matter. Um, I think some of the most interesting theories on this that i 've heard as far as um how humans have been able to use these tools so far in ancient times has been like um with the building of the pyramids and um you know that that might have been the technology that they used to move those those massive blocks was with sound um you know there's there's some more recent accounts I think in the last century of a uh, Western scientist, uh, going over and watching actually eyewitness to, um, Tibetan Buddhists moving giant rocks from the bottom of a rock quarry up on top of a cliff with uh focused, um, sound through their, their, their long trumpet instruments at specific angles and, and mm-hmm. rocks, great distances. And then, um, you know, some great stuff like that. And, um, uh, I think, I think that's, it's just fascinating. There was even a a more recent one where, and I don't know, um, I'm kind of skeptical about this one, but it'd be cool if it was real. But this guy, I I forget which decade it was in, maybe the seventies or eighties created an entire, um, structure and like a surrounding park out of these, um, massive stones. Um, and he did it all by himself. Like it's impossible for him to have lifted these things on his own with any sort of modern technology or pulleys or anything while he was creating it, it was completely shrouded. So nobody could see what he, what he did. But when he finished, um, he had these amazing structures that he created and he claimed to have have done it all with sound and by levitating these blocks and moving them in these ways. So I find that fascinating that you know that that technology is has been ever present but we're we're just now in the west starting yeah very very you know barely all we're doing is creating things right now
1: yeah yeah i mean it can it is proven everything has a resonance Uh, objects rooms have a resonance um Mm -hmm. You know, if you take any, any object and hit it, you'll hear, you'll hear its frequency. (laughs) It might not be a detectable frequency to us lots of times, but it is there. And um, I think I, I saw some other stuff that I wasn't sure about, but I thought it would be cool. And it would make sense is that they, they put, they put an object in a chamber like a ball or something, and then they, and and they matched its frequency and, and just blasted it with with its own frequency, and it started floating. Like the the resonance was so great that it ceased to it, it overcame gravity. You know, it stopped it stopped being weighed down. It stopped having the illusion of density and mass. It just started floating, which makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, sure, I've never seen it. And I don't know the validity of the of that experiment or if it even happened at all. But sounds like a good concept to me. Um another, it makes,
0: yeah, go ahead.
1: A, another thing I saw my friend showed me um is this PDF and um it was from a holistic website of some sort, but it had every organ in the body and, and its resonant frequency. Like huh. so, someone actually mapped out the the frequency of every organ and through this, through this information, you could potentially target certain organs by using certain frequencies, and and heal them by hitting them with their with their base frequency.
0: I'm gonna have to have you send that PDF to me.
1: Yeah, I I'll, I have to have my friends send it to me again because I got I, I tried to find it recently and I couldn't. So I'll, I'll I'll get I'll try and get that to you. It's pretty interesting yeah. to look at.
0: That sounds amazing. Every,
1: every organ. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Um, so, so with your, your knowledge of cymatics and and what you see, what we're doing right now with shapes and and sound and the potential for human healing and all these other things, what, what do you think, you know, what comes to your mind as far as like what these, um, what these technologies or what this knowledge of frequency and vibration could do for us and for humanity in the future, what do you think is possible?
1: Um, I don't know everything. It's got it's got to be somehow because it's it's so it's so there. There's the the vibration is 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 the reality. So um, I feel like through it we can we can not only improve our technology but also improve ourselves spiritually and and philosophically. There's there's so much metaphorical information in in sound and frequency that it we'll never. See the end of it, you know there's this there's so much you can extract from the from the idea of frequency um, yeah I think that there's uh there's kind of a there's real set in information that goes with different frequencies, and that when we look at it and try to apply it. Of the idea of, of something that goes back and forth, up and down at, at different rates, either slow or fast, we can, we can see where we fit in, what frequency we're vibrating at. Are we going, are we going slow and super up and down like a roller coaster a real slow, boring roller coaster? Or are we, are we moving through life and experiences in a, in a, in a, in a at a accelerated rate and learning quickly we're going from one side to the other at a high frequency. So we, we don't dwell in, in our experiences in, in our, in our, our turmoils. We, we just speed right through things and, and things are just kind of are, are singing literally. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: I know in um, psychology uh, with, um, with some brain scans, they've shown that, you know, depressed mood states or lower states of con oh, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm overgeneralizing and using a broad term, lower states of consciousness, but, um, to describe like depression and things like that. But it's shown that, um, frequency of brain waves is much slower at those, those lower. It's like the frequency itself is depressed. Um, it's slower, it's flatter, you know, the, the wavelength is, is, is literally depressed. Um, and then at higher frequencies, you know, people who are active in spiritual experiences, whether it's psychedelics or not, or in uh, high meditative states, or, um, even in, you know, it, when you're in, you know, lovemaking s- scenarios with your spouse or in romantic s- situations with your spouse, or, you know, connecting directly with your kids, these are high frequency states where your brainwaves can actually be measured at, at much, um, much higher, um, peaks and, and lower troughs and much, mm-hmm. uh, greater vibration.
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there's a, there's an observable thing there with the low and the high frequency. And I think for many, it, 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 it they attach it to good and bad. And I don't think that's how it is. I think there's a, these are all frequencies that work together to make the whole and the ones that the ones that are lower are a part of the of the spectrum just as the ones that are higher and um one thing i've noticed that that kind of shed some light on it for me was if you think about the chakra system and how, and how they say that there, that there's a frequency for each chakra and each chakra has the lower ones, the lower frequencies deal with survival and, 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 uh, more primal energies. And as you go up and get into the higher frequencies, it becomes more spiritual and, and, and knowledge oriented. Um, if you look at the ancient music that exists on the planet and that, that still being, played by some tribes and cultures um you can see the effect of the frequencies they use in their in their society and in their culture so one example is if you uh if you look at uh tribes in africa that use djembe's you know hand percussion deep big guttural low vibrations the you know you don't see those guys sitting around meditating you see them I mean, most of the time you see them dancing around, dancing around fires and, 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 and they, and they feel energized and, and they want to act and they want to, they want to exert energy, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like that's that low frequency. That's that low primal driving fire force. And then, then you go over to like Tibet and they're using singing bowls, things that create really high pitched frequ- frequencies, you know, gongs. I mean, that's low for for low frequency for a symbol, but it's still, they're using, they're using the highest of frequencies and and what are they doing? They're meditating and, and they're doing things that have to do with flow states and they're, and they're exploring their spiritual paths. So like there's a connection there to the frequencies that they use on a regular basis and their activity outside of that.
0: That's so cool. You know, when I think of the potential for um, frequency-based, you know, science and um, frequency-based self-interventions for people, I believe, and I strongly believe that we'll get to a point where we have at least an understanding of our own frequency and ability to manipulate our own frequency i believe that we already have that ability but maybe it's been lost or forgotten and that we'll someday be able to relearn or tap back into the ability to manipulate our own frequencies within our body to the point where like i'll be able to um match my physical uh frequency or vibration with like the uh physical vibration of the drywall in my house and be able to walk through a wall or be able to um levitate off the ground because, uh, like you said, with the, with the ball matching the frequency and and overcoming gravity, you know, gravity itself has got to be some sort of wavelength or frequency that is affecting, Mm -hmm. you know, the physical structure. So if we can somehow, um, find a frequency that overcomes that, then it, it it makes sense that we'd be able to levitate. I mean, um, you mentioned that experiment and I know they sell little, desk products like for for businessmen or whatever they can put on their desk where um there there will be like a ball and um uh the um the mechanics of this little machine will will resonate a frequency so that the ball will levitate in between these two plates Mm -hmm. Um, and you can buy those you know from sharper image or amazon (laughs) so so these are like um little toys that we can play with but the implications for them are so much greater if we can you know, think outside the box and actually believe that these things are possible for us as human beings, which I, I totally believe.
1: Right. And, and for heal for healing possibilities too. I mean, think about like that PDF I told you that has all the frequencies of the, of, of the organs. Think about if we were taught, if we knew the science and we were, and we were taught from a young age, how to hum, sir, hum we have kind of a handbook that has the different, that has the different frequencies. And we are actually taught what each one sounds like, so if we have a stomach ache, we can literally hum to ourselves and make it and make it feel better. You know, yeah. the po- the power is right there in our in our vocal cords to hum, and you know that's that's why that's why they do throat singing, and it, 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 to when you activate these frequencies, it it will take you out of your body, um, or active or activate something, or you know.
0: All right, sorry <laughs> for all the missteps. you were talking about how we could you know we could literally if we could we're taught from a young age to hum these certain tones to learn how to heal ourselves rather than you know going to some
1: doctor to do it for us right and give us a give us a, a masking blanket pill or you know something that probably hurts us more than helps us in the long run uh often but you know we've been denied that that possibility. I feel like by the, by the powers that be, that would, li- that would like to uh, monetize things. Um, and I don't blame them. It's just how things are going, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, you say how, how things are going and and I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast that, you know, for you and I, um, we see a lot of potential, a lot of good things that can come from this stuff. um, but it seems like you know the majority of the collective um consciousness or or human beings on this planet or at least the those in, in power and those uh in power and positions of influence um are not along the same wavelength that you and I are you know and and that we believe that it, that humans can achieve all these great things and that if we just focus more on on the positive things that we, that we can do and and developing these these innate talents and and you know studying things that should, um, that we would you know we with a better plan but it seems like you know and it's disheartening a lot of time to see you know our world leaders very ignorant to a lot of these concepts and um, you know not even open to considering you know, the possibilities that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. It's uh, a little, it's a little bit sad, but it is what it is. You know, I I feel like there is a shift happening. Definitely of of some sort and, you know, things seem like they're getting worse, but sometimes things get worse before they get better. Um, It's kind of like a purge, you know, all of the, all of the stuff is coming to the surface and um, and we're all dealing with it together um world leaders included they're part of the they're part of the the singular human consciousness um as much as we are so i'm just i guess for my my time here i'm just going to try to learn as much as i can about about the things that are hard, that are you know the unanswered questions and hopefully i can contribute to it in some way down down the road and um, maybe I won't see it in this life, but I really think we're, we'll, we'll, we'll get it together. Humans will get it together. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in it. I think it's just an interesting ride happening right now.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that we will get it. And I definitely see a, a, a consciousness shift among, um, a lot of people, which is very, uh, brings a, brings about a lot of hope, um. And I think, you know, I choose to, to see, you know, a lot of the dismay and a lot of the, the negative, you know, political and religious leaders out there that are spreading bad messages. And, you know, I I choose to see that as a necessary evil, so to speak, Um, that we have to have those things come about. We have to have, you know, horrible tragic things come about in the world in order to show us exactly what issues we need to fix um and you know i can't i can't think of a better example than you know when donald trump was elected um so many people um said you know this is not my president and this is not my country and this is not the way that it should be and this is a joke and all this stuff mm-hmm. but I tend to um you know, I kind of like Joe Rogan's take on it where, you know, we kind of needed somebody almost like a cartoon character um, overemphasizing all that was wrong with uh, Mm -hmm. politics and business and greed and all these things. We needed somebody like that to come into power in order to show us um, exactly where it could go and what we don't want. And I feel like if If we would have kept electing the same people, we might not have seen that as clearly as we see now. So I'm actually extremely grateful that someone like Donald Trump is in there because it is finally getting people engaged in the conversation and engaged in solution. Uh, that weren't even involved before because they were just going along with the status quo. So we we almost need the turmoil and the wars and the, and the religious um, battles and all these things to show us uh, what, what we need to work on.
1: Definitely. It's a mirror and, you know, there's reasons that it's happening and it doesn't, the thing is, is it doesn't have to keep happening. It doesn't have to be a part of reality war and violence and, and lying politicians doesn't have to be reality. Um, I won't submit to, to, to thinking that is our, you know, our nature. I think our nature is good and we're just confused collectively. (laughs) And, and yeah, we needed, that's how, that's how I look at it is that, I would rather have him out there basically exposing the system for what it is for the most part. Um, and you know, that everything that he expresses out in the open is, is are things that exist within this, within the governmental system. Um, There's the other politicians have just been consciously hiding that. Um, more than him. So I would much rather get what, I'd rather have someone representing really what's going on and, you know, really what's wrong rather than someone um, playing the role and, and, and just kind of, you know, throwing a mask over it for another four or eight years. It's like, let's, let's get, let's get through this. <laughs> let's get it out there.
0: Yeah. The mask never let's wor- see- work on it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Well, Radwin, I want to um, thank you again for being on the podcast today. I think that's a good spot to wrap it up for today. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on. And I definitely want to have you on um, again um, because we, you know, we just, again, we, our conversations, we we get deep on some things, but we, we open up new, um, new avenues to talk and, and we scratch the surface on a lot of good stuff today. But I think the, The listeners out there, if if um, I can get the editing and the and the splicing correctly on on the different segments, I think they're going to get a lot from um, our conversation today. And uh, again, I wanted to thank you for coming on and and really sharing um, the depths of these conversations that you have with yourself and and what you have come to, what insights you've come to.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm just flattered to be here and, uh, happy I made it through it (laughs) because I was nervous, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again and we can get into a plethora of other topics.
0: Yeah. Great, man. Um, well, I look forward to the next time we talk and, um, uh, for all of our listeners, uh, please, um, continue to listen to the podcast, like, and share the podcast. If you wish to donate, um, to make our audio systems better, you'll notice from this podcast, it was a little difficult, uh, with the phone conversation, trying to use the app on my phone. So, um, the more donations that come in, we'll finally be able to upgrade to a better system to avoid some of these technical difficulties. Uh, so please like, and share, please donate. And, um, of course the best way you can support the podcast is to continue to listen, um, Please uh, go to our website, mindops.com, that's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com, uh, where you can find and connect with us uh, for any sort of counseling or consulting services, any mental performance issues that you might be having, or if you just want to reach out and get some, um, some insight into some of, the, some of the topics that we're talking about. Um, but besides that, I want to thank everybody for joining us again, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you, Radwin.
1: Later on.